We're in a series called Game On, and what we've been talking about is the fact that life is happening, and uh, if you think you're just a passive observer, you're not, and that in fact that there's two kingdoms, thank you very much, there's two kingdoms, uh, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the earth, and you're playing on one of those teams whether you like it or not. You're not just a fan, you're not a coach, you're not a Monday morning quarterback, you are a player, and so that's what we've been talking about. And so we talked about this idea last week that if we use the term Christian, we can all hide behind Christian, right? We can, I could come up with a term, a de- definition of Christian that would be great for you and terrible for them and great for them and terrible for you. And I can bring up conservative Christians that, you know, will hit you over the head with the Bible. I can bring up liberal Christians that don't really, you know, there's many gods, but whatever. I mean, a, a Christian is a term that we can all sit, fold our arms and mock. We can all, you know, champion and be fans. And, but that's why the Bible doesn't use the word Christian, it has it three times, and, 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 and most of the time, it, like we said, it meant something more like redneck than it did really kind of defining what it is. That's why the Bible uses the term disciple. That's the term the Bible uses. Now, when you start talking about being a disciple, it gets a lot more personal, a lot more laser-focused, a lot more intentional, and so that's what we were talking about. So that was the first two weeks. There's a game on. You're a player and your name is disciple if you're a follower of Christ. And so what does that mean? And the other thing we talked about over and over again is that God doesn't want you to just to survive life. God doesn't want you to end up in retirement and so that you have all the money you need and all that. And all of a sudden, you know, at some point you get in an RV, you travel across the country, and one day you fall asleep and you don't wake up and then you're in the arms of Jesus. He doesn't want you to just survive life. He wants you to thrive in life. He wants you to be able to operate in the strength that you were given, in the gifts of the Spirit, in the fruit of the Spirit. He wants you to be able to rise above all the circumstances that you may encounter in life because life happens and there's no way you're going to get around some of these circumstances. People die. People get diagnosed. Things happen. It's like, wow, I'm so glad I went to church. Uh, You know, that's just the way it is. And so what we're going to talk about in the next six weeks Uh, or seven weeks, I'm sorry, because I added one, sorry, Um, is what does it mean to be a good disciple? If we're disciples, and there's no way we can get around it, and that's what God has labeled us, don't you want to be good at it? What are the elements? What are the criteria? What what are the things that make good disciples? And this morning, what we're going to talk about for this uh, first time is the idea that disciples worship. And um, before we get started on the sermon, I want to uh, get Justin up here to tell you a story that he told me while we were doing a Be the Church Ninja Team thing, because I think it begins to give us an idea of what I'm going to be talking about this morning. So, we go over to the table of death. Chick. <laughs> I'm, I'm the sound guy today, too, so I was about to fire myself. This doesn't work. <laughs> so, this is Justin Zerwick. His wife, Chelsea, is operating the Thing there, the thing. Yep, thank you, Justin. How long? How long have you been attending our church? Uh, probably five years now, I ah, guess. Okay. Yeah, about that. Cool. But, and you you play bass. You um, operate yeah. sound. You, yeah, I, I, I've found. I that could get a free tattoo if I wanted. You? Yeah. No. Okay. Well, but uh, yeah, and no, I like to be involved with stuff, keep myself busy. Yeah. Good. Good. So tell me the story you, you told me when we were there. That was so encouraging. Um. So. Uh, Many of you may know, many of you may not. Um, I have a 
bunch of hearing problems. Um, when I was about 10, they found that I had some hearing loss in my left ear during, like, you know, the school tests when they do, you know, blood tests and lice checks and, oh, let's check your ears too. Hey, you have hearing loss. And um, I never really noticed, um, so it must have been gradual. But um, as, uh, as I went to different doctors and everything, they diagnosed me with a bunch of different things. And um, finally, they said, you know, wait till you're older and we'll address it then. So teenage years um, kind of went. I forgot about it or tried to forget about it. Um, gradually, it went further and further down. Um, and uh, I ended up getting a hearing aid when I was like 20. Um, but uh, from like 20 to 23, it kept, it kept going down even more um, to the point where I could put my hearing aid in and I still would just have nothing. I can plug my right ear and hear nothing at all. Um, Luckily, my wife wakes me up and my alarm goes off because if I roll on my right ear, I don't wake up. But, um, which is good sometimes. But, um, and she could tell you to do something and you're like, I don't know, I didn't hear you. you know, that, don't give away my oh, secrets. Sorry, my bad. My, sorry. Carry on, sorry. But, um, so, so, you know, I wrote off that ear when I was about 23 um, that I was just not going to hear out of that ear. Um, music has always been a really big part of my life. Um, either playing or just listening. I'm a very social person. I love striking up conversations with people. So, um, you know, hearing has always kind of been integral for just kind of who I am. But um, I can still hear. You know, I just had to turn my right ear toward you. But um, so it didn't bug me. You know, never really was a problem. But um, when probably a year ago, um, my right ear started acting funny. I didn't know what was wrong with it. Um, It felt like pressure, allergies, something like that. Um, which I never had allergies, but... So I started going around to different doctors trying to figure out what was wrong with it, uh, thinking it was just going to pass. It had cold ear infection, something like that. Um, Ended up getting diagnosed with, like, another four or five different things on that ear. (laughs) And it was shipped around to different doctors when um, I didn't have insurance, and so I was just kind of trying to, you know, get around to different people, and they just kept referring me. Um, And, uh, you know, that that went on for almost a year, Um, with it, it gradually getting worse and worse and worse, and uh, it would it would go up and down, up and down, and every time it went down, it would go a little further down. Um, but when it went down, it was it was done. Like uh, you know, I, I had a lot of uh, struggles when I'd, I'd come home and want to just sit on the couch and, and watch a movie with Chelsea, but um, we couldn't turn the speakers up loud enough for me to hear it, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so I'd just sit there and I. Nobody wants to watch a movie in subtitles. It's not fun. But, um, you know, things like that. Or I'd, I'd book a show with my band and get there that day and my hearing would be knocked out and it would just... I wouldn't have fun. I'd be miserable because I knew I sounded awful, you know. Um, and just, just things like that where I couldn't, I couldn't enjoy my life. It was uh, becoming a problem at work where I couldn't mm-hmm. talk to customers. I'd sound like a fool because they'd say, like, oh, hey, can you get around the corner? I'd be like, great. <laughs> you know, and and so it was really embarrassing and really frustrating, and just it was starting to, you know, gnaw away at me. And um, so, and you, and you started realizing, I, I yeah, might it, go it down was it was it was really down. scary. Um, and then I finally got to a doctor. The the last last of the line, you crazy uh, super expert on ears over at UCI, and uh, between a bunch of other different tests, um, he finally just sat down and said. Um, there's no, it doesn't come back. The the cells in there are dying. It doesn't come back, and um, we don't know if it will get worse or not. Um, 
but there's a chance that it will disappear completely and you could go deaf. Um, and then they said, you know, we're, we're actually figuring out how to fix it, but the cure might not come before you're deaf. And I was like, oh, well, you know, hey. But um, so, it, you know, I was, I was in a really big funk for a couple days, um, just kind of thinking what my life would be like in silence and um, really, really, really scary. And um, so, you know, I was doing a lot of praying about it. I was, but all my prayers were, God, just please give me my hearing. Please give me my hearing. Um, you know, just don't, don't put me in quiet. And, um, and then uh, me, and, me and Chelsea um, were, were going through Psalms before um, we go to bed every night. We just read one of the Psalms because it is a really long book. And so we just knock one off every night. And, um, and so I, one, of these, one of these nights when my hearing was just really, really bad, and I was having just the long talk with, with Chelsea about it and how uh, much it was affecting me and how scared I was and stuff. Um, and I, you know, we went to bed, and I was still really troubled by it. And, um, and I opened, you know, grabbed the Bible just because that's what we do. And, and, you know, just I wasn't necessarily looking for anything. And which is when it usually comes, but um, and I the the psalm we were supposed to read that night was twenty eight, and uh, so I open it up and the first thing I read just right underneath the bookmark was um, to you Lord I call you are my rock do not turn a deaf ear to me for if you remain silent I will be like those who go down to the pit hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help and I lift my hands toward your most holy place. And I just set my Bible down and just started tearing up, you know. It was, um, and, and I went and Googled afterward. The, that's, the only, um, that's the only time in the Bible where the word deaf or ears is used in anything other than like a derogatory, like, oh, you're deaf to what I'm saying. It's, it's the only place where it's like, please don't let me be that way. And... Um, it just really, really, really spoke to me, and I was really, really happy, and I kind of just got this piece of, even if everything does go quiet, it's, that, that's okay, because you speak in quiet, and, <laughs> and um, you know, it's, it's not, and my prayers since then have not necessarily been, please give me my hearing, but it's been, just guide me, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and it's been really cool, because I can, I can rest in that a lot more now, and it, it was a, really an answer to my my prayers, but not the the answer I was I was wanting necessarily or thinking I needed. Mm. But it yeah. was an amazing answer. Yeah. It's almost like it, even though you go deaf, he'll never go deaf. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, and I was kind of you know just thinking, there's so much that one in life that God's given me that you know I can appreciate more, and. Um, not to focus on what I don't have, but to focus on everything mm-hmm. that I do. Yeah, that's awesome. That's um, awesome. But uh, I'll read one more verse real quick. Yeah. Um, and I kept thinking about this through it was um, that he, everybody has some kind of issue that they, they have to deal with. Um, and uh, I can, f- you know, I say I'm really fortunate. I've never really had any big issues with anything. My, my ear has been the only thing I've really struggled with my whole life. Um, but uh, so I, I kept going back to this verse in Second uh, Corinthians. I was given a thorn in my flesh, messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. 
But he said to me, my grace is sufficient, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast in all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. And um, that totally just sums up everything with my whole hearing issues now. Just, I'm not, I mean, other than practical worries, I'm not worried about, you know, if I lose my hearing anymore. Mm. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we um, pray that the power of Christ would rest on Justin and on Chelsea mightily, Lord. And Lord, we just come before you uh, as the great physician, and we do pray for healing. We ask that you would um, uh, help him not to have any more episodes, and that, uh, Lord, I know the doctors are working on something, but Lord, we just ask that uh, you when you were here, made the deaf hear. And so, Lord, we just ask this upon our brother. We thank you for him and the example he is of a godly man. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, buddy. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Why don't you give him a hand again? <clears throat> so this week, uh, I, I know what I'm preaching on before I preach on it. And um, so I'll be working on sermons all, kind of all the time. I'll, I'll, I'll know the series and all that. So if I hear something or see something or whatever, I'll, I'll just, I have a little program I use that I just kind of insert ideas. Like, oh, that's good, that's good. And um, sometimes it's the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's just my wife telling me to do something. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, and, and so it got to this week. And this week I knew it was going to be on because... The way I looked at healthy disciples and what does an effective disciple do is I just began to start like you would. I just started thinking, well, let's see, who are all the people who are navigating life well, regardless of circumstance? And what, what do they do? You know, it's kind of like going into the gym and you, you know, you don't want to, you want to look at the guy who's really, really in shape and go, oh, I'm going to do what he's doing, not just what everyone else is doing. It's that type of thing. And so as I began to do that and began to wrestle with the scriptures, I began to talk to different people. This first one was that, that they're worshipers. And so I knew it was going to be on worship. And so I, while I was studying and while I was doing all this stuff and word studies and reading about people who read other people and listening to people who listen to other people and all that kind of formula, I couldn't, I couldn't come up with a point. And, and I'm like, God, you can't preach a sermon and not have a point. Well, that's kind of the point of having a sermon is that you have a point and everyone goes, wow, oh, pastor, that was very awesome. And you go, oh, thanks. And then you get patted on the back and everyone goes home. That's kind of the idea of how it works. That's what I get paid. I get paid to have a point. Okay, that's my job. And so I was going all, all week on it and I would read other people's points I go, yeah, but that doesn't really describe worship. It's not, it's not, I mean, it's a, it's something, you know, singing is great and all that, but it doesn't, it doesn't describe what Justin's doing. That's, that's the kind of worship I'm talking about. God, you're God and I honor you with my life. I honor you with everything. And so, um, even last night, you know, I'm working on the sermon last night going, I can't, I don't have a, dear God, please give me a point. You know, it's like, uh, and so I went to sleep. And uh, this, uh, you're like, wow, 
I'm not giving to this church. I get it. I get it. Um, I, I go to sleep. Oftentimes what will happen is God will give me stuff in my sleep. And um, that's why they call it the gift of teaching. You're terrible at it, and so God has to give you stuff because you don't do it very well. And so, so, and so I said, Lord, I need something because I've done my job. I've studied. I got 50,000 verses. I could just start showing them, and we could all come together. But that's like inviting someone to your house for dinner, and they're like, oh, so what's for dinner? You're like, well, the fridge is full. Go make yourself something. It's, it's kind of like good to have it prepared, you know? And so... So just real clearly, the Lord just goes, just tell them that. Tell them that there's no really nice definition for worship. Tell them it's hard. It's a hard topic. Tell them everything you've kind of come up with. And then let them deal with the rest with me. And I'm like, that's awesome, you know. And so that's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to try to, as best I can, articulate some of the foundations, some of the principles and the common themes that I see all throughout Scripture, two for sure that are big ones, but that don't have a nice bow around them that you can drive home and, and, and say, this is, this is worship. And so um, the first one is this, and I'll, I'll go and talk about this in, in a bit. The underlying foundation of worship the underlying premise, if you will, the thing that starts the whole conversation off, the, the kind of the big idea, the, the foundation is this. God is with us. God is with us. He's here. Like the God who created the heavens and the earth is not a God who has kind of started that and has gone and has sat down and is going to see how it all works out. And there's going to be some that make it and some that don't. And there he is. And he kind of like wound it up like one of those little clapping monkeys and just says, well, I hope it doesn't tip over. God is here. He's with us. He's in this place. And as people who follow God gather together, there's some different kind of sense of his presence that's more than if you were to just sit by yourself. God is with us. As a matter of fact, when he was taking the children of Israel through the desert, one of the ways he showed he was with them, kind of the, 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 the underlying thing, was this pillar of fire by night and this cloud by day, just to keep them reminded, I'm with you. And so for him, when the Israelites were going, okay, let's just go back to Egypt, what they were saying was, we'd rather be there than with you essentially. And so as I began to look at things with that in light, I, I kind of came up not so much with a definition of worship, but how do I know if I'm worshiping? <laughs> right? Because look, if we're talking about game on and we all want to be great disciples and stuff, like, like I want to be good. I mean, if I'm supposed to worship, I, I got that. That's all through the Bible. He tells us as a people to worship. He, he meets people during worship. Well, how do, I, how do I know if I'm worshiping? And there's a way to know. There's one thing in your life and in my life that can give you an indication of whether you're a good God worshiper or not, whether you're worshiping him. And, and it, it's not 
so much the church you go to, or did I feel something during singing? Although that, that's a part of it. That's certainly a part of it. When you're, when you're worshiping, and sometimes you'll just get on this kind of, maybe it's a, a phrase that's up on the, on the uh, wall behind us, or there's just some idea, and you sense, oh man, I was talking to a guy after first service, and he said, during one of the songs, I got a Jesus hug. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, but anyway, I, I had to listen because he's part of our church. But no, uh, no, but I know what he's talking about. It's that idea of just like, oh man, I kind of want to jump up if I wasn't going to bother the person next to me. It's just the sense of his presence. That, that's part of it. But I think that's a part of it because all of our emotions are a part of worship. If I come angry at God because he didn't heal my ears, my hearing, and I just bring that to him, that's kind of a part of worship. You see that through scripture. So it can't be a certain type of emotion. Maybe it's all of our emotions. And so what's, what's the one thing? How do I know whether I'm a worshiper or not? And it's this question. And it's asked all throughout the Bible and all the, all the examples, almost every single one of them, that God's upset with the people's worship is how they answer this question. Do you have any idols? Do you have any idols? Because if you do, all the other kind of stuff to him doesn't seem to matter that much. In other words, even if I could come up with the best definition of worship, one that you could go home and it's 17 points and you're just like, wow, this guy is the smartest guy we've ever dealt with. If you have idols, you are going to miss out on the expression of worship. As a matter of fact, uh, if, you know, if you think about idols, you know, you probably think about something like this, you know, that's the, the golden calf or whatever, some other thing. You kind of think in terms of that, right? Like an idol, like, you know, maybe, you know, if you ever saw the, um, um, uh, the Brady Bunch where they had that one uh, jade thing he wore around his neck and then the tarantula came down. And I think Bobby got hit by a rogue wave and one got lost in a cave. Like, remember that? You think, like, oh, okay, I don't have any, I, I don't have any things. Uh, although watching the Brady Bunch is probably an idol. I don't know, but, but it's just, I, you, you kind of get that or, uh, you know, maybe you get that idea, you know. It's like, uh, do we worship culture, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Like, do I spend too much time on something? Or I think, when I think of Idol, I think of Billy Idol. I don't know why. I just do. I just couldn't. I just, you know, anyway. Um, for me, I think in America, uh, that's probably our biggest idol is money. Uh, I found a picture that says, in gold we trust, you know, because I, I think that's pretty good. But the, throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, this is one of the idols that comes up all along. It's an Asherah pole. And um, uh, this little bugger can be found, um, all, all, remnants of it can be found all through Israel. And when you read the Old Testament, you hear about these Asherah poles. Now, this is one example of them. The other example I can't show you because it's, um, it's yeah, it's very sexual. But you can do the physiological math and figure out uh, what the other one is from that, I guess. And so, uh, and I just felt uncomfortable showing it to you because I'm immature and I probably giggle. So, um, <laughs> but these are all over the place. 
So much so that the Bible even talks about these. It, it, was, a, it was a fertility God. So now, there you go. Okay. Ha, 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 ha. Get it all out of your system. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, let's move on because now I truly am getting uncomfortable. But as a matter of fact, the Bible says this. Uh, essentially, God is addressing this with his people. He says, do not set up any wooden Asherah poles beside the altar you build to the Lord. Now, this is, a, this is a big thing. This is where you begin to see kind of where God is going with this. And he says, and do not erect a, a sacred stone or a big rock there to show that this is, this is what you're putting your faith in. For the Lord your God hates these. He hates those Asherah poles. Now, to understand why, you have to understand what God wants in the first place. And the way God had designed it is this. He's God. He was before time began and he's going to be here. He's just always existed. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. God, God is with us. Even now, as we sit here, God is with us. And so we start out on that foundation that God is with us. And so God, the God who's with us, the God who is a pillar of fire by day and a cloud by night, that God who's with us wanted to have a relationship with a people that honored him and followed him. And so it was God, and he gave this land to a people, and the land wasn't because land is that great, that was where they were going to practice his law. And his law was going to separate them from the other nations. That's what was going to make them different. And so there was God, this land, and his people. That was the plan. It's always been the plan. That there'd be a God. He would have a people that would love him and worship him to the extent that they They followed his law. They followed his commands. And they would be so different, so set apart, that the other nations, when they came into that land, they'd look around for an Asherah pole or a thing for Baal or some other thing, and they'd walk on the land and they'd go, who's your God? Like, where do you, where's your God? There's no statue of him. There's no, and they would reply, our God is found in the law. As we represent the law, as we begin to exercise justice and mercy and righteousness, when you do business with us, we will have one set of scales and they'll be true scales. We won't have one set for you and another set for our friends. That's the actual real thing because we want to skim a little off the top from the foreigner. We're going to treat the poor. We're going to treat poor people. We're going to take care of them. In our laws, we will have ways to take care of those, the widow, the orphan, the alien. When you come onto our land, there's no pole, there's no statue. It's the community of God acting out his law, his decrees that separate us from everybody else. So an Asherah pole really meant that's our God, but if that doesn't work out, We got something else on the side. If that God doesn't work out, we can always have plan B, Asherah. As a matter of fact, uh, Ezekiel has a great way to talk about this. Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse uh, 24. 
For I will take you out of the nations, starting to get God's heart in here, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. Now, now get what happens. Listen to the word picture God uses for the kind of people he wants to have bearing his name, right? This is so cool. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and will give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God has this idea that he's going to take for himself this people. The understanding is not that there'll be this people and then everyone else, well, too bad for you. You're not part of this people. The idea was that there'd be a group of worshipers who'd so buy into this that all the other nations would go, man, we want that God. And that was worship. And so be careful to keep my decrees. Then he goes on. And this is kind of the whole thing wrapped up right here. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. That was the plan. And it's still the plan. And that's all they had to do. Had they done that, they would have been worshiping. See, oftentimes, just because we like definitions and we're American and all this kind of stuff, we, we give worship a, you know, uh, you know uh, Jason came and he was leading worship. He played some songs. And in the past in the church, there have been these, what, what, what is called worship wars, where, you know, one generation liked hymns and one generation likes drums or whatever, worship songs or uh, choruses, if you know, depending on what you know, what, what age you are, and all this kind of stuff, and so and so, there's been these wars. Well, this is the right way to worship, and this is the right way to worship. Oh, and those choruses, you sing the same thing 24 times, and these hymns, these are really doctrinally strong, and and and, and all of that, absolutely, all of that. That's all a part of worship, and those conversations are important. I have about. Uh, I have many friends who are pastors, and if you go to their churches, all, some of them are radically different. One, one of my friends wears a robe, which, you know, if it were a bathroom, it would be kind of sweet, you know, a little pipe, you know, like, let me share with you the Bible, you know. But it's, a, it's like a spiritual robe, you know, it's like a nice robe. Uh, it, it has all these symbols and stuff on it, and he wears this, like, big medallion thing, which, again, hey, if you can sport it, do it, you know. And their church is real somber, and they have lots of symbols different places, and it's real um, kind of an ancient, they like to call it an ancient future, and that's the way they worship. And, and he can defend why he does that. But that's their community. That's their worship. So I have a, a friend who has lights and a lighting team, and, and I, I think he wears makeup when he preaches, and it's like, ooh, you know, like because there's big screens and like that. And, and he can give a pretty good reasoning why they worship that way. But see, as you begin to read the Bible, God is not really concerned with any of that. I mean, he is to some extent. I mean, there's ways to disrespect. You know, this is a sacred place, I believe. 
whether you have pews or chairs or whatever, it's all how the community is expressing themselves. And it's going to be different from church to church. And so if we get caught up on that. As a matter of fact, throughout the prophets, and this was the thing I was real nervous about in preaching because um, the Bible, like, God gets ticked at his people. There's some sections from the prophets where he goes, I hate your worship service. Your songs, I have to plug my ears. Your little festivals make me want to vomit. They're disgusting to me. Can you imagine? You're arguing before God. Hey, God, here's what we're going to do on Sunday morning. Uh, We were going to have hymns and a really nice choir. (laughs) That would make me gross. Ugh. Be gone, you know? And then the worship band shows up, and they're like, hey, dude, got a soul patch just like mine. It's like, hey, what's up, you know? I know what you're talking about, God. We're going to have guitars and drums. And he's just like, ah, right? It's like it doesn't matter. And, and these people, their festivals and stuff were awesome. You know, you're like, God, I'm going to come out of a helicopter, like in a thing, and I'm going to scoop down with a parachute, and lights will go off. Ta-da! You know, I don't like it. I don't. I hate it. Now, watch what he says in the book of Amos. Amos, if you read Amos, you are going to cry. Just call in sick the next day because it's so depressing. It's just God. He's at the end of his rope. And so he's talking about this worship and all these festivals, and he's tired of it and all this. And here's, here's where he gets to. In other words, kind of the thing he drives home, if you want to worship, this is what you have to do. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. That's worship to me. Do you have any idols? Are you trying to do God and? Like, I'm going to follow God, but if that doesn't work out, I just want a good, solid 401k. Yeah, look, I know, God, I know you're there. Thank you. Thank you for all that you've done for me. Thank you for saving me. But my, I need some type of a health care plan. Because if that doesn't work out, I need, I need something. Now, again, we're all going to live life as responsible as we can. As you begin to read scripture, you begin to get this idea that how you do it, how you sing, what you sing, all that means very little if you're worshiping idols at the same time. In Isaiah, he says, bring your worthless offerings no longer. See, God wanted them to have this land that represented what it looked like to be worshiping people, people with no idols. And instead, the land changed them. And all of a sudden, and you read this all throughout Israel's history, things are going great, Asherah pole pops up somewhere, usually with somebody wealthy, because they realize there's this, this, this isn't enough. I need something more. And then another one would pop up, another one would pop up, and they'd all be right next to the altar of God. And they started setting up these high places you'll read about in Scripture, these high places, and these, they're holy places. Oh, it's so holy, and so let's put an Asherah pole there. And that becomes kind of God's thing. Do you have any idols in your life? Is there anything competing? Is there any plan B for you?
I, I, I'm going to worship God, but I'd really also like a husband <laughs> or a wife or really attractive children. <laughs> or is it just God? This is it. Now, the New Testament um, talks about this too. And the, the, I was hoping, because the New Testament... God doesn't seem as angry in the New Testament, so I thought, oh, good, maybe God will let us off the hook in the New Testament and go, well, if you have a couple idols, it's okay. Grace, 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 mercy, mercy, mercy. But he doesn't. As a matter of fact, Paul talks about this and really kind of makes it so specific. It's almost like the idea of disciple rather than Christian. He kind of goes, okay, you want to be a, you want to be a worshiper? You want to be that people of God that just say, look, We don't have a plan B. You are with us. You are here. And we are going to worship you. So Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. And it's a famous section of scripture. We actually covered it a little bit back in December. And I know that you guys would have remembered that really well too. So I I felt a little nervous. Like, boy, should I bring it up again? I I talked about it. So they... Probably haven't memorized. But anyway, it's in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And those who've been Christians for a long time or disciples now, I guess we're called them. But it, you don't have to do that, by the way. Don't, if you're at work and someone says, are you a Christian? Don't be like, no, I'm a disciple. You know, then you're going to freak them out. Just say yes or whatever. Don't, don't go crazy. But uh, it says this, Romans 12, chapter 1. He says, therefore, I urge you. Another, or I beg you, I beseech you, I encourage you. Like, like if we were talking, I would pull everybody forward. I'd say, come here, come here, come here. I got to tell you something. Brothers and sisters, I urge you. And then he, he talks about this in view of God's mercy. Now, listen, God's mercy, this word there, really could be translated mercy or compassion. And essentially what Paul's saying is, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, because God is with us, because he's here, because we actually have a God, this powerful and this mighty that wants to enter in a relationship with you, his mercy, his compassion does this. Because we have a God who has this mercy and this compassion. I I wrote down some things of what God's mercy kind of represents. Um... What his compassion represents, what his presence represents. Maybe they describe a little bit too what a what a great relationship would encompass, you know. And it's I just wrote eternal love, eternal grace, the Holy Spirit, everlasting peace, eternal joy, saving faith, comfort, strength, wisdom, hope, patience, kindness, honor, glory, righteousness, security, eternal life, forgiveness. Reconciliation, justification, justice, sanctification, freedom, intercession. You kind of keep going on and on and on. Right? The whole point is God is with us. The God of the universe is with us. So if God is with us, why would we need another God? That's the question of worship. If he's with us, I should be able to get through this. There shouldn't be a plan B. Here's how it plays out in my life. I'm kind of a control freak. I like everything in the spot that I want them in. I want a plan. I love the plan. I want that plan to work flawlessly or whatever. But as, you, as you'll come to find out in life, <laughs> having a plan doesn't always work out the way you expect. And so as a control person, 
When something begins to get out of control, I do one of two things, and I'm probably, we're probably real similar. I either try to escape through something, TV, food, some type of action or substance or something that kind of gets me to like, la, 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 this isn't happening. I try to escape. Or I try to plan it out and really take control. One of those two things is usually where I find my idol. When all of a sudden I get the bill in the mail, I don't know if you've ever had that happen, when you just think, ah, oh, one of two things happens to me. Either paper shredder, that's an idol. I didn't get a bill. No, okay, right, no. Okay, okay, right, I'm just playing around. So you either like stick it in a drawer and just like, hi, honey, how was your day? Or, okay, here's what we can do. We can take out a second on the house. And then what we can do is we can... And now if we pay this down, and we don't have to pay that. And blah, 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 blah. One of those two things usually ends up being an idol in some way, in my, in my life, someone who likes to control. For you, it may be different. But that's how it presents itself. My first thing isn't, Lord, you were reading over my shoulder when I read that bill. You're here. You understand. You understand if I'm going to be homeless. You're here with me. Now that for me becomes the beginning of worship. Worship isn't necessarily what you do. Worshiping God is the idol you reject. And by rejecting the idol, you are worshiping. Now watch the way uh, Romans goes on to say it. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And there needs to be a drummer. No, I'm just kidding. That was just a little thing, right? I mean, there's nothing like that. It's almost like this verse, you could go to any church, which is true. You know, it's, it's funny as we talk about the weird, you know, kind of just the Christian way of talking about worship. All of it, just like we use the word Christian and it doesn't mean anything, worship has come to not really mean anything. You could tell me exactly and give me good reasons who should be up on the stage leading worship. And I can find you a church that does the exact opposite that is full of worshipers. I've been in worshiping churches. I mean, they are worshiping and the music was horrible. Horrible. I mean... I started to cry. That's how bad it was. That guy, I don't know, Lisa probably won't even remember, but there was this guy, on a, like they had a cowbell, and there was a guy playing the cowbell, which is great if you're like in a Saturday Night Live, but I, that, like it, I was not going more cowbell. I was like, what is going on? All right, it's just bad worship. But the people, they didn't care. They were all oh, men. You could just sense the presence of God. They were, they were, God is with us. I've been to places where the, the stage has been just the most incredible people you've ever seen up there. It just didn't have that same thing. And, I, and, and switch it, I've had both too. When there is a church, a community that is offering their bodies, you know, offering their lives, as a living sacrifice before God. When there are people like Justin saying, God, I want my hearing back, but even if I don't, there's no plan B for me. You're it. That's, that's the kind of church 
you want to be a part of. Isn't that the kind of person you want to be? That's the kind of worshiper Jesus was talking about when he was talking to the woman at the well who said, listen, there's going to come a day, and it's right now, that God's going to search for a worshiper that worships him in spirit and in truth. A worshiper that has no idols. It doesn't matter what mountain you're going to worship on or whatever. That's it. So he says, you offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Part of the problem with not having a point is you go late. Okay, sorry about that. He says this. So how do you do that? Here's what he says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Right? Like the, the entire pattern of this world is, is a plan B. Either get enough power, enough money, the right trophy wife, the right this, the right that. Figure out how to move up the corporate ladder. You know, kind of all these different things. Know the right people. Know how to work the system. But all that. He says, no, no, no. That's all it means. Just don't be conformed to that. When you do your taxes, disciple, every box, put the right number in there. That's all it is. That's an act of worship. God, they take too much of my money. But I'm going to do the right thing. I'm not going to go for a plan B. I'm going to make just a few more extra dollars by putting this over here instead of this. That's, That's what it is. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Will be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As the worship team comes back up, um, I want to read to you what got us to Romans 12. It's Romans 11.33. Romans 12 starts out, Therefore, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, the reason the therefore is there is because of Romans eleven thirty three, which essentially says, he's here. God is with us. He's sitting next to you or hovering over you. He understands. And so go ahead and close your eyes and just listen to this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable is judgment's. And his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Go ahead and check out this verse behind me. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. If God's with us, if he's here, any other plan B is just an idol. It's just a, you know, instead of, man, my 401 okay, good, if, if something happens, at least I got my 401k I can dip into. Instead of that, it's like, Lord, how would you have me use my finances? How, how would you have me use my talents? I just got a promotion. How would you have me treat the people I'm now managing? Those are acts of worship. Not, oh good, I got the promotion. What's the next step? That's idol worship. But now I've got this promotion. God, I offer my life a living sacrifice. What would you have me do with it? 